Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I am here with Russell Gay. Harmony, um, uh, I've heard from the research and marketing division again. Oh, dear. (laughs) They... um, we tasked them with finding a, a marketing partner for the show because, as you know, the show's donation only. <laughs> yes. And uh, we accept donations widely. <laughs> we do accept donations. Um, but the marketing partner, um, we're pretty excited about some of the work uh, that research and, uh, and uh, uh, has put together. And... Um, uh, they've come back with us. They with a uh, with Dosecchi's. Dosecchi's. Dosecchi's, the beer company. Excellent. Yeah, Dosecchi's came back to us with a pitch. Uh-huh. They want to. They want to try this. Okay. And uh, with that in mind, they want you to say this line. Okay. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dosecchi. No matter what this year throws at you, enjoy Dosecchi's responsibly. Um, with, so who's with, our guest today, Russell? Well, it's, you know, it's super appropriate that's, that Dos Equis is sponsoring our guest today. Our uh, Dos Equis is sponsoring our guest today? Dos Equis is sponsoring uh-huh. our guest today, uh, whom I know as the most interesting man alive. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a big feat. His name is Mark Stephen Pomianowski. He is a, uh, Pomianowski. Uh, a classically trained guitarist, an avid surfer. He studied in China for years as an acupuncturist, is certified as a Chinese medical doctor, sang tenor in the San Francisco Choral. He's been clinically dead more times than I can count. <laughs> can I introduce you to the man that I know is Sparky, my Ashtanga yoga student? Ladies and gentlemen, how are you today, Sparks? Good. What a, what an introduction. Uh, yet I'm a I'm a bore unto myself. <laughs> <laughs> Sparky, we um I think the last time that we saw you, we uh, we had just chartered uh, Paramaguru Arshirat Joyce around the bay, and we just left you there on the on the boat. Is that is that the last time? Yeah, that's the last time. God, that's how, how nice of us to all come as a big group and just leave you to clean up the mess on the boat. That was about two years ago. Yeah, it was actually. Exactly. So, so on top of everything else, Sparky, you're a sailboat captain. Well, that yeah, and that's that's my primary work now. And father of three. Father of three. That's well, that's, uh, that's, that's my primary work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is your primary work. The the boat captain is the work to support the work. <laughs> exactly right. What was that like for you, chartering um, Sharat all around the bay like that day? What, what do you remember about it? Uh, I remember it was it was a uh, fairly windy day. Not too windy. Conditions were pretty pretty easy that day actually and uh, i it was good to see some old friends and, and especially to see you guys and um yeah it, it was kind of a day off for me that's what it felt like oh nice, nice. Well, it wasn't like it wasn't particularly surreal at all to ha- to be out there with the renowned guru of arshtanga yoga no, Lenia no, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't surreal uh because what what i see on the on the water is is uh 
I see so many strange things happen out there that that that, that was not surreal. No. What do you mean? What kind of strange things do you see out there? Oh boy. Um, I guess people just like getting really out of control drinking. Oh yeah. Oh, that's what you mean by seeing strange things like on the boat. We didn't. Okay, here's okay. Okay, here here's what happened yesterday. (laughs) I I did a ash scattering. Okay. Yeah. Off of uh, Alameda. Mm -hmm. It was a Vietnamese family, and they had uh, two monks, two Buddhist monks on board, and they had um, music, and they had. bells and they had they had drums and they had things like this and then they were chanting for about 20 minutes it was really beautiful and then uh, afterwards they were they were going to scatter the ashes of two different people mm-hmm. and when we got back to the dock they had forgotten to scatter the ashes of one of the people oh no <laughs> so so they 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 uh they asked they wanted to give me the ashes really <laughs> To, to just, they, wanted like, to, they, they wanted me to dump the ashes off the dock, which is, which is totally illegal. <laughs> it's a, there's a policy against that. Oh, it's illegal. You can't just dump ashes. You know, you're supposed to be so many so many uh, feet away from land. You know, there's a mm-hmm. whole lot of different rules and regulations around that. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so I refused to do it. I told her I couldn't do it. And mm. then she just wanted to give me the ashes to like get rid of them any way I could. I told her that it was illegal to take human remains, you know, w- away with me, which I don't know whether that's true or not, but I had to say something. <laughs> and she, she, uh, gave me, she gave me a really, a really bad tip. Uh, oh no! Before, oh she, no! I mean, before she asked me to take the ashes, she gave me a bad tip. So that might have. Oh well, okay, yeah, all right. For for a, for a certain price, maybe I would have taken the ashes. Right. Back, but I wasn't going to do it for forty bucks. No. And, and um, so um, that was pretty surreal. That, that was a first for me. Yeah. Wow. wow. You know, it, it reminds me of a of a story. My um. A, a guy had come into my dad's house to assassinate uh, my stepbrother, wow. who was dealing crack cocaine out of the house. Um, uh, my my mom at the time was Roxanne Carter, and they were in they were in Pontiac, uh, Michigan, and it was a little it was a <clears throat> rough neighborhood. And uh, they'd shot Mookie in the thigh, and um, left the gun, and he had fled the house. And I don't know if this was the time that Roxanne like fired back with the with the shotgun. Maybe that was a different time um, when someone else tried to assassinate Mookie. Or it's Mookie. It was Man. It was Jonathan and Philip. Those are my four stepbrothers. And um, my dad had this gun now in the house, and he like there was like a semi-automatic uh, gun, uh, like pistol or small gun. And my dad had to had to saw the gun up in the basement, and then uh, dump it in Lake in Lake Pontiac. And that's if you're listening, uh, if the authorities are listening, that's where they can find the gun. Are, are you sure this wasn't an episode of Breaking Bad? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it just reminded me so much, like how um, when you're just telling the story, like there's so many parallels. Like you you get into some of the craziest shit, and like for example. I told you once about my dad, how my dad had decided to go to the Philippines. He had met a girl online 
and um, went out there and, and brought her back to Detroit, married her, and they have a child. Yeah. And I had told you this story. And you said, oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, that, that was an inspiration. <laughs> and so you met Anna Lou online and you went out to the Philippines yeah. and you brought her back to San Francisco and married her. And now you have three kids. We've been together for eight years. <laughs> I mean, that's. It'll be nine years in February. Yeah, can I hear the can I hear the children there? Are they there with you? Hi, Anilu, how are you? Good. What about you guys? Good. Can I call you Mama Sita, or is that too? Sexy? <laughs> <laughs> it's too sexy. Maybe I'm sorry. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How is Kuya uh, John? Kuya John. He's doing good. He's good. Yeah. He's a little man now. He's like ten. Uh, he's 11. He'll be 12 in November. Wow. Wow. And the, and the, uh, the others, the, those, the, uh, the twins will be seven in, in uh, August. Oh, that's amazing. I saw them. I saw them with you on Facebook. Like they were just like crawling all over you. That's what they do. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I don't know if our listeners know this, but, but um, shortly after I separated from my ex-wife, I needed a place to stay. And I came and stayed with I stayed with you in your house for for like the weekend or like three or four days. Yeah. And I was like, I really needed a place to stay, you know. And I, 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 just, I think it might have been longer. Wasn't it about a week? Maybe. And I, I just really appreciated it, but I also knew, like deeply in my heart, that I couldn't stay there anymore. Well, we loved having you here. That's what <laughs> <laughs> that it was. We all missed when you left. It was nuts, though. It was like waking up at like four in the morning and like having like a little alien staring at you in the face and just poking you in the face. Yeah. You know, it was like That's that funny. every day. Yeah. I, I just, I just wanted. I. Do you feel like these kinds of kinds of crazy things just just happen to you? Are you different this way? Well, I mean, when that kind of stuff is happening to you, how can how can uh, Sailing with with the guru seemed surreal. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You're balancing a lot of different things. That that's that's about as 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 moderate as it gets for me. Yeah, that was a nice quiet day. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, we took my mom out on the boat. Oh yeah, for her for her sixtieth birthday. It might have been. I think it was sixtieth. Yes. And it was great because this was like the kind of thing that you were always like suggesting to our little community of Ashtanga yogis yeah, right. there in San Francisco. You guys got to come out on the boat, got to come out yeah. on the boat. And it's like, okay, well, that sounds like, you know, horrifically expensive, <laughs> thousands of dollars, but it's actually like pretty reasonable when you get a number of people together. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. And we could, we could go out. And I think we did this for my mom. We, we got a crew together and we, and we, we got like 10 people to go out with my mom and go out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. And it was amazing. And um, God, I think we nearly died, didn't we? No, we didn't nearly die. We had we had what is called an accidental jibe. <laughs> what is that? And that, that is when the, there, there's two ways you can turn a sailboat. You can turn it uh, into the wind and across the wind. Mm-hmm. Or you can turn it away from the wind and across the wind. And when you do that, the sail will flop from one side to the other. Yeah. Now, now, when you say turning into the wind across the wind, that's called tacking. 
And what happens there is that as you turn through the wind, everything slows down because suddenly the sail's not getting any wind because you're directly into it. However, when you jibe, that's the opposite. You're turning across the wind without ever having any stop of momentum. And, and uh, so, so it, everything tends to slam over to the other side if you, if you don't have it under control. And, and an accidental jive is when that happens accidentally. You don't mean to turn that way, but you do, and you're not really prepared for what it's going to do to the sails. Uh-huh. Everything went, you know, slamming across. Yeah. It made a lot of noise, and the boat kind of leaned over for a little bit, but it's not really dangerous. It just, it just feels alarming. Well, it was. We all felt alarmed, and what yeah. I what I, I remember is time kind of stopped for us as we st- <laughs> as the boat. What is that when the boat kind of turns sideways? What is that? Well, lull. You, you mean it, when, it, when it leans? Leans. Yeah, it yeah. leans. Yeah. It yeah. leaned, and the ocean was like right there at the edge of the boat. Yeah, so that's, like, that's, that's called heeling over. But but those boats are designed. <laughs> they're designed to not tip over. I mean, you, you would need you would need like a forty foot wave to smash it to tip that thing over. Well, so we were all gripped very tightly, staring at the water, well, thinking well, that none, of you, well, none of you understood that, and, and, <laughs> and I never explained it. And then, and then after the fact, when I explained it to your mom, you didn't buy it. No, <laughs> and like you had me like working on some kind of rope. You said, "Russell, go grab that rope," yeah, and I was pulling on it, yeah. and it wasn't moving anywhere. And at that point, we were all pretty sure that, yeah, things had gone really badly. Yeah, I, I was, mo- I was mostly concerned that the sail would tear. <laughs> Not that so, you would lose any passengers. No, that no, wasn't I, your I, main I never, concern. I, I, I never, I never thought, I never thought that as a possibility, or the boat tipping over. Mm-hmm. I, I was. Mostly concerned that the sail was going to tear, and I was going to have a lot of explaining to do when I got back to the dock. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, that was a big problem. Yeah, I was I was scared for the sail too. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you were scared for your life. I, it, well, honestly, um, my mom said it was the best birthday she ever had, Aww. and it was fantastic going <laughs> out there. I'm glad I part of that. Being together, um, I I I remember all the little details of that trip. So so intensely um so how did you and sparky come to meet each other how did you walk into well Well, i I was i the short story is that that uh i was studying with noah williams and uh um he passed his practice over to russell and then i would continue going to the class so I, i met him that's right. So Noah was was teaching oh, at subbing. was subbing at Johnny and Heidi's place yep. in the city, yeah. and you were there working with him. And then I was the next guy up. Yeah. And so we transitioned, and and um, I started teaching. But how did you even end up in an Ashtanga yoga studio in the first place? Yeah. How that's, did you end that, up in Noah's class? That's even a longer story, and uh, that starts out with if you. Just in my interest in yoga in general, uh, you know, started from my older brother who was in college. I was in high school and he brought back uh, uh, a book from Patavi Joyce. In high school? In, uh, I, I was in high school. I, I was, I, was a, I think that, this would have been like maybe 1974. Maybe it was Iyengar, Light on Yoga? Um, I'm pretty sure it was Patavi Joyce, but, but, but I, I wonder if it was Iyengar. I think it was Iyengar. Well, anyway, it was it was this orange, little thin orange book. 
And, oh. I, I, and I remember that the uh, um, the routine that I was studying was the same thing that I was taught in Ashtanga. Huh. Wow. A little and, thin and orange I'm, I'm almost right. sure it was, it was Patavi Joyce because I, I, I believe that he had introduced it to, to, uh, to the West around that time, right? Well, the book... I feel like Light on Yoga was a popular book, and it might have been like a Shivananda book with some sun salutations in it. Or the Ashtanga Yoga Primer by uh, Baba Haridas. Maybe? Baba Haridas. Did he have an Ashtanga Yoga Primer? Yeah, but I don't know well, what this, year it was published. Just, uh, I got a hold of this, I'd say, in 1974. And um, uh, so it must be, you know, it was published before that. Some mysterious yoga book. <laughs> With yeah. an orange cover, but but I, but, but every ever you know a, after that, and I went to many yoga classes. It never when I when I finally went to an Ashtanga class, that was the first time. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I was. Learning. Oh, weird. Yeah. yeah, and and so so that and so it really like resonated with me. But 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 that was um, you know my brother. I was learning it just straight out of the book. I didn't have a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, was, I was just like copying what I saw in the book, and I, I would go up to the beach and do it in the sand. And and uh, and I remember, uh, I and then I you know I, I was I kind of gave it up you know I got kind of tired of doing it and I just kind of gave it up. And then over the years I would go to you know different yoga classes and see if it would grab me. And then I started to uh, then I started started to have a Tai Chi practice that became much more, uh, uh, I guess, a deeper practice. You know where I was doing it every day, mm-hmm. and I did that for about fifteen years. And and then I had met Magnolia, mm-hmm. and oh, the Magnolia Zuniga, the certified yes. Ashtanga yoga teacher in and, California, and she, right? And she, and and we got into a discussion about kind of like you know Tai Chi versus yoga, you know, and and, and uh, I, I was making all these ridiculous statements about it, and she said, "Why don't you try it before you start talking about it?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and so I did, and uh, you know, I mean, I was I was that that was the end, you know, like I. I, I actually stopped my Tai Chi practice and took on the yoga practice. And that was, that would have been 2009. So that was, uh, you know, 12 years ago. No, no, wait a second. How did you meet Magnolia? I met Magnolia through a group of, of, uh, uh, of aspiring yogis actually. That, mm-hmm. And uh, I was, I was connected with all these people and uh, she was just, you know, one of the, one of the group. Okay, and you, and you guys had like a like a following, and in, in that you had you had you had uh, you were working together like in San Francisco or in Oakland, and you were just just had a like kind a club. Group. This sounds very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was like a sangha, and 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 uh, and so we, you know we 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 became friends, and we were playing music together, and and you know we we got to be good buddies, and and uh, uh, you know, and then over the years, and and then like you know, it, it wasn't until maybe. Um, you know, seven or eight years later that I actually went to, a, to her yoga class. Mm. So I had already known her, and, you know, I, got, I knew she was going to India and I was, you know, I was following like, you know, her adventures and she was, she would tell me about what's going on in India and, and how she met Patavi Joyce. And, and, uh, so I, I was, you know, interested from afar of like what she was up to. Right. And then, um, she came back and invited me into her class. And, and, uh, when I took the class, it reminded me of, you know, like, it was more like a martial arts than than any yoga class that I had ever been in, mm-hmm. and and that really appealed to me, especially from coming from Tai Chi, and uh, um, you know I just knew it was the right thing for me. Yeah, was Magnolia your first teacher of Ashtanga yeah, yeah. yoga? Yeah, well, she, she was my first Ashtanga teacher, and and uh, 
set me on the right path there. And, and uh, I'm forever grateful for that. And then you went to Noah from there. Yeah. And then she, she, rec- she, she recommended I go to Noah. Okay. Did she know that she was going to lose you as a student to me, do you think, directly by doing, making that choice? Because that would have maybe stuck in her cross slightly. Maybe she planned it. It's <laughs> <laughs> very possible. Well, that's awesome. Let's, I think it'd be fun. I think we should go through your, your entire life story one more time, and we should go back to high school. Um, yeah. I, do, I do need to take a commercial break. Um, yes. For all your drinking needs, try <laughs> Dos Equis. Stay thirsty, my friends. Harmony, when was the last time you had a Dos Equis? I don't remember. I think it might have been in Mexico. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> you nearly died there. I did. Yeah, a scorpion bit you. I did get bit by a scorpion oh, in yeah. Mexico. Yeah, I remember you sent me a picture once with you on a beach holding a Dos Equis. And I thought, wow, that's really fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um <clears throat> Speaking of stay thirsty, um, Sparky, I have, we're going to get to the point where we're going to ask about your nickname as well. But in yeah. high school, you're out yeah. there in um, in Long Island. Is that right? No, in New Jersey. New Jersey. Okay. And yeah. you're on the you're close enough that you're able to go to the beach. Do you are you surfing at that time? New Jersey, where the stars shine. That's good. That's that's authentic. Which one of your parents sounded the most like that? Uh, neither of them. They, they they didn't have those that kind of accent. Oh, uh, they did. They didn't. No, no they, they had more of what we would call a mid Atlantic. Mid Atlantic. What does that sound like? Is that you? That's what you sound yeah, like. Yeah, like, kind of like me. It's like kind of like uh, Central Jersey to Maryland. Wow. Okay. Okay. And and your your folks, your dad's Polish, Pomianowski. I think you yeah. pronounce it the American way, Pomianowski. Yeah. Yeah. I I was formerly I uh, I was I was engaged to a Polish girl at one point. I learned how to speak Polish. Yeah, you can say oh, a yeah, few so, words. So then, so then you would know that. Yeah, that's Pomianowski, right? Dzietlias piękna kobieta, which is um, where are the pretty girls? Um. So. Uh, Rozumiem, uh, Polski. So, um, no, Rozumiem. No, oh, no, you don't understand Polish. Okay. No. Um, so, uh, your mom's Italian. Among other things, yeah. Was she, I, as I understand it, like they strongly supported you in the musical arts, and then you ended up in a musical conservatory. Were they musical at all? Uh, well, I, I, I wasn't in a conservatory. I was in a, in a, in a uh, music program at, at a state college that, that was linked to a conservatory in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they, they were very supportive of, of my music and uh, um, they were not musical. No, they, or they, well, actually they didn't play any instruments. Let me put it that way. My mother loved to sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father didn't really, really uh, play music or even really sing very much, but he, Used to listen to like odd stuff like uh, these these really old folk songs or opera, mm-hmm. but he he didn't he didn't really like he would never go out and buy an album or like sit down and listen to music. He would have to be working, and and he'd be working out in the garage with like opera playing, you know. And I, I always thought that was just really cool. Yeah. Oh, and then and then or he might have these like, these old old folk songs like from the nineteen forties or something. What was he working on in the garage? Oh, you know, he just, he, he, I think he was just trying to get away from all of this, you know, when he would just go out there. Puttering <laughs> <laughs> around with stuff and I'd hear like wood cutting and I'd hear like, you know, chipping and banging. And, but I never really saw what he was doing. 
<laughs> guys, guys from that age, like they did that. Like they went yeah. out and they escaped in their yeah. shed and they'd just be making noise and like yeah. making nothing happen out there. Yeah, yeah. Like they were always out there. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he was kind of like a, a do it yourself or, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, but his projects were really funny. You like to see how you could do it. <laughs> how were they funny? Well, they were just, you know, they were, they were just obviously not done by a professional, but they kind of like had his signature all over it. You know, so. Yeah. Wow. That's, that sounds like, just like my grandpa, he was out there in the woodshed, made, he made all of their own furniture yeah. and it, and it looked like it. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, you ended up being like a kind of musical prodigy, though. Like you're really I, I, gifted. I was, not, I was not a prodigy. I, I was definitely <laughs> not a prodigy. I, I was struggling to catch up with with uh, the rest of the program, and I, oh. I, had, I had I had started late. Um, I started playing guitar when I was six. Well, I took lessons when I was like in second grade, but I didn't, but I didn't keep it up up with it. But then I started to play seriously when I was about sixteen, mm-hmm. and my brother's roommate. Who who went on to be the guitar player for Allen Ginsberg? Oh, he, he uh, the poet. Yeah, oh. and, and he um, what kind he, of band he, is he, that? He kind of, kind of uh, you know, he inspired me to to play because he told me he, when I when I was introduced to him by my brother, he told me he was a guitar major. And it was at a time when I was in high school trying to decide, if, you know, if I wanted to go to college, what would my major be? When he said guitar major, I thought, is there such a thing as a guitar major? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'd like to do that. That sounds like a great, you know, that sounds like a great thing to study. So I just, but I didn't know how to play guitar. And <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, what do I have to do to become a guitar major? And he said, if you can play this song, and he played Bach's uh, Bore in E minor. Beautiful, wow. beautiful, beautiful piece from, yeah. from, from a cello suite. And he said, if you can play this song for your audition, you're in. And wow. so, I went, so I went from like, I, I knew I had a year and a half to, to go from not playing at all to playing the Bore. Is, is that something you could do now? If I had the desire. Okay. Uh, oh, you, mean, you mean, can I play the Bore now? Yeah. I forgot. I forgot how to play yeah, it. Yeah, okay, okay. But, but I still, I, you know, I have the finger dexterity to still play it, but I don't, I just stopped playing it, so I don't remember. But okay. So anyway, I, um, we'll I had, a year, had a year and a half to, to, to build that up. And so I went to a guitar teacher and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, well, this is how you're going to do it. And he, had, he, I just started doing scales. And I, I did scales three hours a day, nothing but scales, three hours a day, seven days a week without uh-huh. pause. And I, did, I, I think in that year and a half, I may have missed one or two days practice. And every day was at least three hours. And I, and I got to the point where I did – I could play it and I passed the audition. Wow. And and then when I passed the audition, I was, you know, I was uh, probably in the middle of the class. Okay. And, you know, as far as, as far as uh, students were. Yeah. As, as, as far as new students were. And, uh, and so I knew I had like a long way to go and a lot of work to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't willing to, to do what it takes to become a classical guitarist. So, I dropped out of it eventually. I I remember you told me a story about the guitar teacher as well, and and like it's a it's a beautiful day in Jersey, and 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 the sun is shining, and the beach is calling you, and you were looking at this gnarled old man. Uh, he's probably like 
like 42 or 43 <laughs> and and you thought to yourself that you didn't want to look like that guy and and be inside on a, on a on a nice day with your body kind of all gnarled up like oak like that is that yeah did you, know, you tell me that I, I, something like that i don't i don't really remember who the person i saw like that was or it may have been a number of people that i saw like that um but but i remember like looking at classical guitarists and seeing that they were you know, they did not look physically fit in any way. And uh, especially the older ones. And, and they were you know, really hunched over. And, and uh, you know, and I, and I saw that as as a future that I didn't want. Right. You're our third classical guitarist. Oh, wow. On, on the show. Is that right? Oh, Andrew, John. Oh, and yeah. They're all, they all studied cla- music in school. Yeah, that's and right. Classical and classical guitars. And they all studied specific classical guitars. You know, it, it, was, it, was it was a very difficult decision for me to make to, to, to stop to quit that, you know, after I had worked so hard to get it. Yeah. And, and, and plus, you know, like the teachers I was studying with were just top notch. I mean, he's like, what an opportunity. And, and, uh, and so my parents, you know, they didn't, they didn't really, I knew they were disappointed that I, was, that I wasn't going to do it, especially my mom. But they didn't really put any pressure on me, like you know. I, I but I was mostly disappointed in myself, mm. and and uh, and and so for a few years, you know, I was really hurting about that. Like, did I make the right decision? Should I have done that? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it wasn't until later that that I realized, yeah, I did make the right decision. Why do you think it was the right decision? Uh, because I, I, guitar playing became a much happier thing for me eventually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Instead of just like this, you know, tremendous life's challenge that that. Uh, um, you know that there wasn't a whole lot of joy in it compared to the the, the uh, pain that I was going through. Yeah, trying to learn how to play like that, and and uh, so so you know it, it it kind of also allowed me to do other things that I wanted to do that that I you know would would never have been able to feel um, at peace if I didn't do those things. Mm. I think that's a common story of many artists yeah of all di- all sorts of different disciplines but when you get into those you know into the school or the college um and you're studying the discipline and everything and there's so much pressure around it and it becomes very serious and not yeah. so much fun anymore and you kind of start to not enjoy it or not like it and it's hard to get that joy back yeah. sometimes unless you stop the the pain stop the yeah. bleeding stop the pain early my family you know art and music has always been you know a real high ideal and so you know my, my brother was a was a, was a uh, fine artist and and uh, you know and all, all of us are always involved in some creative thing like you know lately I've been doing a lot of like wooden sculptures and things like that so there there's always you know there's a lot of creativity that that you know was really reinforced in us as kids and, and mm-hmm. that we continue to to produce stuff yeah i would i would say the same for me uh, you know my, my dad was painting my mom was writing um you know my brother was a creative and so i, I was it just felt you know the like the right thing to do. it was just the most natural thing that i needed to do and i needed yeah. to do it i still need to do it every day um, just for our listeners, don't go to art school. Though. <laughs> Drink Dalsecki. <laughs> Drink Dalsecki's. Drink responsibly. Go to university responsibly. Get a law degree, like your mother said. 
and, and getting a law degree is easier than, than getting through music school. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, tell uh, me about music it. Music school, you cannot fake it. You, you get up on the stage and you can play it or you can't, and everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing with the performing arts, for sure. But, yeah. You, you, I was Something else that you were, you were talking about reminded me, um, I had the opportunity to see a band, uh, They Might Be Giants, which is one of my favorite bands of yeah. all time, and I can recite most of their songs. Um, I, saw, I had the I, I saw them when I was nineteen, or actually seventeen, in in Detroit, and then I saw them when I was thirty seven in San Francisco. So it was twenty twenty years later, and I remember seeing John Flansboro, the um, trum, trombonist, saxophonist, accordion player, like he played all those instruments. Yeah. And I and I remember he turned around and I saw what had happened to him. And that the accordion had broken him. Oh yeah. Sure. And he had turned into like a giant S curve. Or maybe he was predisposed. But he um yeah, his body's ruined. Yeah, a, a, an accordion will ruin your back for sure. Yeah. And I was or, or violin players with their neck problems, you know. Like everybody every instrument has its own, you know, its own uh Achilles like heel. Yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. probably the best one to play is drums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though, but they all die. Every band has a dead well, drummer. Well, anybody who saw Spinal Tap knows that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, okay, so set us up now, Sparky. You're you're 17. You've decided yeah. against pursuing um music as a as an educational degree no no i know i decided that probably at probably i was around 20 oh at 20 okay yeah. yeah so at 20 you've moved on and then did you join like the the french foreign legion like you ended how what did you do do you you ended up on a uh as a boat captain right? Yeah, working well, on a boat well, you know as as a real little kid you know like my dream was to be a captain and I used to, I used to always wear this captain's hat and, and uh, I had like a whole bunch of captain's hats in my closet. And, and you know, I was, I was constantly imagining myself as a captain. Mm-hmm. And so it's, so, it, and then my father had a boat, you know, when I was, you know, from, from as long as I can remember. So I was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I learned how to sail at a very early age. And, and, uh, um, so I spent a lot of time on the water and, um, when I was 20, I, left New Jersey and, and uh, went to North Carolina where I got a job in a fishing boat. Mm-hmm. And I worked as a commercial fisherman for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, and that started my, you know, professional boat, uh, my, you know, boat work. Is that how you came up with the, the nickname Sparky? Was it then? No, that, that's, hold on for a second. I just got to close my door. <laughs> Nobody can bug me. Okay, yeah, uh, that, that, that name came. That name came um, from two different places, actually. And uh, the, the first time I heard it, I was working on a boat, a yacht that we were converting from a mine from a minesweeper. It was a British minesweeper built in the 1950s. We were converting it into a yacht for a Saudi Arabian prince. Oh wow! Oh and, 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 yeah. And, uh, the, the boat was in Florida. It was in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, I, I saw this boat. Uh, was, it was like a big wreck, you know, when I saw it on the dock. And I thought, oh, this is a boat that they, they need help at. So I went and I asked for a job. <clears throat> and um, 
I ended up getting the job on it. And uh, I ended up working as the assistant engineer. And the, uh, the engineer was fired en route. Uh, we were, we were going to take the boat from Florida to Saudi Arabia. Wow. Holy. And, and on the way uh, in Bermuda, we our first stop was Bermuda, and they fired the engineer in Bermuda. Because he had a, they, the engineer on the boat was fired in, in, in Bermuda. Why? Why? Oh, uh, he got he got he didn't get along with the captain and the captain's wife, who was a cook, and then and then uh, insulted the captain's wife, and then you know uh, <laughs> got really drunk and and uh, him and I had you know had a little bit too much to drink one night, and, and then and then we raided the uh, the the uh, refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> ate all the ice cream and uh the the uh, the engineer there was a big there was a big po- there was a big like magnetic board up on the refrigerator and it said refrigerators off limits and the, the engineer the engineer uh in his drunken state ripped the, the sign off the refrigerator he thought it was he thought it was like magnetically attached but it was actually glued on and, and he ripped it off, and with and then he wrote over the sign. He wrote, "We have to eat, okay." And the two of us both laughed about that, and then we proceeded to eat all the ice cream that was that was supposed to be for the entire trip across the Atlantic. One ice cream bar after another. Jesus. And, and, and then, uh, and then, you know, we thought that was really funny. And then I went down to my bunk and went to sleep. And then he 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 strolled off into the main salon. And pulled the drapes off the window and, <laughs> and rolled himself up like a burrito inside of it and just crashed out on the floor of the main salon. And, and when he woke up, the captain was was kicking him <laughs> inside his burrito. And, uh, and, the, and then the captain came down and no, the crew came down and said, "The captain wants to see everybody in the main salon right now." And, and I remember, and I I woke up. Thinking, oh, well. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't. I didn't forget what had happened the night before. <laughs> so I went up with kind of like with my hat in my hand and my head down, and I sat down. And everybody's sitting around the main salon, and the captain pulls out the sign that 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 he that had been destroyed and held it up and said, "Who's responsible for this?" Yeah. And the and the engineer like raised his hand, <laughs> and he was out. He was that was it. He was done. But how come you weren't? How come he didn't take you with him? How come he he couldn't? He well, f- first of all, he 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 was looking for any excuse to get rid of the guy. They they, they didn't like it. Yeah, okay, but they and, should have fired you too. I mean, you were they should have, but they couldn't. Okay. Because, <laughs> because first of all, this was a this this is not a sailboat. This is a this is a powerboat that we're taking across the ocean. Right. And and they need an engineer. Right. Oh. Now now I'm the I was don't forget I was the assistant engineer. I I I am no engineer. And I still am not. And, 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 uh, but I was, I was the closest thing that they had to an engineer. And on this boat, there was, I think, seven of us. Not one of us had ever done an ocean crossing. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Including the captain. <laughs> and and uh, in fact, the only people who even had sea time were me and the captain out of seven and possibly uh, a, um, uh, a guy, that, a navigator that was hired later who, who turned out to be you know insane. So... <laughs> So, so, and, and whether he had sea time is questionable, but he claimed to have sea time. So, so we were gonna we were gonna take this boat to Saudi Arabia, 
and and uh, and the ca- the captain later said that he carried that boat on his back. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it, it's like reading a Wikipedia page, and there's all this hypertext where you think, should I click that and find out more about this story, <laughs> or should I just keep reading? You know, there, there are, there are tons, we, we could we could probably do this every day for the next month. And, and I know. I know. I really like sometimes you feel like you know somebody and you know all their stories and then you just like peel back a layer of an onion and like, oh, here's a whole another Wikipedia, you know, whirlpool well till I could I could sink into. Um, but at, but there's something to do with a screwdriver and you got well, electrocuted. Yeah, so what, so what, Is that so the trick? Yeah, but what happened was that he, the captain then came to me and said, do you want to be the engineer, the chief engineer? Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, you're going to get a, you know, you're, you're going to get a raise from $800 a month to $1,000 a month. Great. And, and, and you'll be one of the ship's officers. And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I can do that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I want to be a ship's officer. Right. And, and, uh, and so little did I realize is that, you know, we're, we're taking a motorboat across the Atlantic and I'm the engineer. Like I, it didn't, that didn't, that didn't sink into my brain. That means that it's your job to keep the motor running. It's my, and, right. And that you don't know me. how to do that. And if you don't keep well, the motor I, running, I had, I had, you'll I be had dead a, at yeah. sea. Listen, I had a van and I had, I changed parts on my van. So I knew how to do that. And, 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 there, I, and there was, I know how to change parts on my, on my car too, <laughs> but I'm not taking a boat across the Atlantic, man. And, and, uh, and, this, and this, this boat had four Volvos, four, four Volvo diesel engines, you know, big, huge tractor engines. They get four of them. Wow. Oh my God. And, and so, and, 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 you know, there was a manual. So I figured, yeah, sure. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. But I didn't know enough. Can do I didn't know enough. To, I didn't know enough to buy spare parts. Oh. Um, I didn't know enough to even to buy spare wire or spare tubing or, or like the most basic stuff, even spare light bulbs. I didn't. I didn't buy anything. I we just like left Bermuda. That's not your job. You're the engineer. That's the captain's job. It's requisitions. So, the procurement so I was, officer. I was, I was to leave. I was to leave Bermuda with nothing. Oh no! And except for what, what the engineer had left on board himself, and I just yeah. assumed that he had like what we needed. Yeah. Right. And uh, so as we were as we were going across the Atlantic, one of the jobs was that you know the reason we had four engines, we had two engines to to run the props, and we had two engines that were generator engines that we would run you know electricity and everything else on. Mm-hmm. And so to to save the engines, it was my job to shut down one generator engine every twelve hours and turn the other one on and switch them over every twelve hours. Well, you know, a real engineer would have realized that before you shut down and turn on another engine, you shut the whole system down. Oh. Otherwise, you'll get a huge surge. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be dangerous. And so what was happening is that I was noticing that the light bulbs were blowing out, uh, oh. you know, more. And the, you know, the boat was getting darker and darker, and, <laughs> and, 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 including the engine room. And, and, and the light bulbs were blowing out. And. And we didn't have replacements. And so, you know, it was just getting darker. And, I'm, and I couldn't understand, like, why the light bulbs were blowing out. And then, in, in the most cartoonish way possible, I switched over the engine one night, and the light bulb above my head blew out. <laughs> I mean, literally, the, I, the it was like literally the light bulb going on, you know, like, oh, now I understand <laughs> what, 
what, now I understand why this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, we were out of light bulbs. <laughs> and so, so this is the level. This is the level that you were dealing with as an engineer. Mm. And and um, so anyway, I had I had to do some electrical work down there in the engine room. And and this is this is an old minesweeper. So this has got you know this is a very high powered vessel. This thing, uh, you know, had a lot of electronics and and a, a four hundred and forty volt panel as opposed to, to typically what you might see is a 220 panel. Mm-hmm. So it's twice as powerful as, you know, you know and, and like, you know, house, house electricity in the U.S. is 120 or 110 rather. So this is 440. Uh, yeah, okay. That, that puts so it in perspective. Four times yeah. what you get in the light on a, you know, that, that what, you, what you get in the U.S. I guess in Canada, you get 220 up there. I no, I don't so. think so. That's England. Oh, you get 110 also, okay. Well, anyway, so, 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 so this 440 panel, I went, I, you know, I, I, I shut everything down or so I thought. And then I went over to unscrew uh, a screw to take out a fuse. And when I touched the screwdriver to it, I just got shot across the engine room. And the last thing I remember seeing is like a blue flash. Yeah, that's you dying. <laughs> and I saw this blue flash and I landed and I, and, I, and I went through the air and I landed two hands down on a hot turbocharger. Oh, and and and, uh, and I mean hot. I mean this thing. Is, <laughs> the, the temperature gauge that was reading would, would read like nine hundred or something crazy. Oh like my that. gosh! Like two hands with all my weight flat on top of it, like I was doing a push up <gasps> off the turbocharger. I come up, I come up like like you know horrified. I come up and, and, I, and I see immediately two blisters. I see two blisters like just form in front of my eyes and my hand. Oh my I see God. two blisters. Both blisters were, were in the shape of my hand. Oh. <laughs> I, had two, I had two giant blisters that were like, like the, with the fingers and everything, like just like in the shape of my hand. And no, so I come wait, up. Like, wait a second. The, up, the blisters were, were on your hand? or The what? whole palm was a blister. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I come up and I'm looking at that like, oh, my God. And I come out of the engine room <laughs> and, I, and I got my hands up in the air. I come out of the engine room and I'm just like looking looking at my hands in like absolute horror and and the, the crew looks up at me they're, they're they're like they're all goofing off in the main salon they, they're all like laying around the couches and everything and they look up at me as i come through the engine room one guy says to me what happened to your face <laughs> and so I, I, I looked in the mirror and uh the left side of my face was swollen out like somebody had punched me on the left side of my face oh my god <laughs> And at that moment, now I started to feel like the pain in my face because before that I was focused on my hands. I didn't feel my face, but now I feel, now I started feeling my face throbbing. And, and so what had happened? And I and this was all uh, kind of uh, confirmed for me when I studied acupuncture about how everybody. But I I, uh, I realized that when I touched the screwdriver to the, to the electric panel. The current went up my arm and out my jaw. <gasps> so it was like being punched from the inside. Yeah. And had had it gone through my heart or through my brain, you know, may have killed me. Yeah. I, I'm, actually, probably would have killed me. If it had gone through my heart, probably would have killed me. Yeah. Or, or if it didn't throw me but grabbed me instead. Right. Yeah, grab you, so, right. So, but so it I, threw was really you. Lucky. I was really lucky. And um, But, you know, but I also remember before I became the, the – even before I became the assistant engineer, I saw a guy down there who, who was who was one of the deckhands who also didn't know what he was doing. 
pl- playing around. Uh, he was trying to fix something in the engine room, and he didn't know what he was doing. And I, and he got, I saw him, I saw him get trapped in a corner with like this arcing electrical current <laughs> in front of him, and he was screaming behind it. And and so it, it was, you know, it was the same panel. So that panel obviously had had previous problems. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll do that job. And that, and that actually happened. That actually happened while we were tied up at the dock in Florida. So so like you know, I knew that that boat had some issues with electricity. Yeah. And so who came who came up with the word, the name Sparky at that point? Well, I don't remember exactly who it was in that in that group. I, I'm I'm kind of thinking it might have been a a uh, uh, a New Zealand guy that I who actually who heard the story and I met him later. I think he, he's the first one. I think that started calling me Sparky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then, uh, but then, like after I left that group of people and I left Europe and I wasn't no longer part of any of that, you know, the, the name disappeared. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I started working for Greenpeace and I had made some friends there. And uh, one of my friends started calling me Sparky uh, because of my spontaneous nature. Yeah, and, and you know so that's what it really stuck. I totally yeah. forgot. And I didn't even put it on my list of questions that you were a roadie for REM and that you and Michael Stipe are friends. Well, we, we were friends. I haven't seen him in many years, but but uh, I wasn't a roadie. I, I was a, a Greenpeace representative. That right. Was, uh, and but you guys would all eat together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was on the road constantly. And you used to tell me about how Michael Stipe would would really protect his voice and speak in a very low, yeah. soft voice yes, that he wasn't yes, using yes. it all the time. Yeah, I, I, thought Michael, I thought Michael was a genius. And didn't he he tell you at one point like you need to 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 get you need to get your life together and figure out and do the thing you want to do? Yeah, he did. That's good advice for all of us. He did. Yeah, he, he did because I, he, I I was I was at acupuncture school, and uh, REM was was uh, going to travel and do a tour through Europe. And yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go, and by going meant that I would have to drop out of acupuncture school. And, and so he called me into, into, to, uh, into the bus one day and had a long talk with me about, uh, you know, how he would love for me to go on the trip trip with him and how much, how great the trip was going to be. And, you know, but he said that that if I did go, I'd be out of my mind. (sighs) He said, if you quit, if you quit, uh, uh, acupuncture school, so you can tour around with a rock band you're insane. (laughs) Wow. And and so I really wanted to quit and I really wanted to go. But I knew he was right, and I took his advice. Was this this was before um, before the uh, the big album I, that I can't even remember? Not not eponymous, but um, the the one this like in nineteen ninety two ninety three. There was a really massive no, hit, yeah, uh, losing your religion yeah. album. Yeah, yeah, it was way before that. It was it was, it was um, I can't remember the name of the album. It was the it was the green. No, the one before that. Okay. Document. It was document. document. Yeah. yeah, it was. It, we uh, we were touring that particular show, and wow. uh, it was like a traveling circus. It, like, there was a lot of great people that I met on that, and you know that all the people I met associated with them were just you know really great people. You ended up like being the light guy at one point. Uh, well, that was that was a, that was a, a little bit different. That that was a backup band called the Feelies. And oh, the, the Feelies! Yes. The oh, Feelies. they're great. Yeah, yeah, I love them. The Feelies were fantastic. Oh. And, and, uh, the Feelies, they, they they lost their light man, and the manager was panicked. And he he asked me, uh, no, I asked, I asked, uh, I was I was talking to him about the lights because he was trying to control the lights, but he didn't really have time 
to do it because of all his managerial tasks. And he said, do you know how to use a light board? And I figured to myself, well, I, you know, I've, 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 uh, well, I told people I could be an engineer to cross the Atlantic. I can certainly figure out a light. Board. <laughs> <laughs> so I told him, yeah, I, I could do a light board. And so he said, he, he, he showed me a couple of basic things and said, here, take it, he goes, you know, do it. Amazing. And so, uh, I did like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, half a dozen or more shows, maybe, maybe six to 10 shows. Uh, and you're well. absolutely not supposed to touch the REM lights when no, you're doing no, the no, feely no, lights. No, no, no. They were, they were completely separate. The, the REM yeah. lights were completely separate from, it was all on the same board, but it was all taped off with masking tape. And, and I, I didn't know that. And so I, <laughs> I, I, used, I used all of REM's lights for the Feely's first show and got in some trouble for that. Yeah, yeah sure. And, and, and then plus, you know, I was so excited to do it that I, I had lights like going off, like, you know, everywhere. Like it, it was, it was like, uh, you know, a, a nuclear Blast on stage. It was like and, a Sparks show. Yeah, yeah. it really was. It was like mm. it was like in, in big letters that the, the marquee would have read Sparky's oh. show featuring small letters, the feelies. It, it was it was like that, and and, uh, and they let me know. <laughs> they let you know. Well, look, how do we get from you taking a boat to a Saudi prince, um, blowing off half your face? and electrocuting yourself to then being in San Francisco and acupuncture school in the first oh, place. Man, that's, a, that's a long, that's a long journey. But like, how do you, why did you give that up? And like, how did you even think, how does a, an engineer on a boat or a, a midshipman or whatever the, 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 whatever they call you people, how do you say I'm going to do acupuncture? It's not, it's not a, it's not a direct jump. Mm-hmm. And it, it may not even be a linear jump. You mean that it might have not might not have happened yet? No, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I grew, God, this is getting, this is really getting crazy. I, I probably got my first inklings to go in that direction when I was in grade school, when I when I was in, in Catholic school. Hmm. And and uh, how uh, how did that happen? Did you know about acupuncture in Catholic? No, school? I didn't know anything about acupuncture. But but I, but when I was you know I, I was sent to Catholic school as a little kid, and so. You know, I, I was really intrigued by by you know uh, all of the whole religious aspects of it as a really little kid, mm-hmm. and then and then ended up rejecting that. You know, when I got a little bit older, but but I was still like interested in like you know uh, just just spirituality in general, which kind of led me to start studying about Eastern religions, mm-hmm. and because that that it, uh, appealed to me, you know, more than Catholicism did. And so I started to study about those things and started reading about Taoism. And, and so that's probably where I first got my first inklings to, to go in that direction at all. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Chinese medicine is, is just a branch of Taoism. Yeah. I knew that, that Harmony had, had wanted very, very, had thought very strongly about going into Chinese medical school yourself, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I never reread it. Yeah, it seems to blend really well with the yoga. And I think like the meridian system actually originated in India and came over to China with the Buddhist monks and many yogic texts and Buddhist texts. Yeah, and yep, then a, a lot of controversy and disagreement around that, depending on who you talk to, but that's right. kind of like that. yeah, that's right. And then I think the, the Chinese uh, Taoist system, as you say, already had a lot of concepts of like chi and you know yin and yang and oh yeah this whole 
was all about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the two kind of blended and became this beautiful system of acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine. And that's also why Chinese medicine and, and Ayurvedic medicine are so complementary. They work very well together. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's so interesting. Like the one thing that I find, you know, maybe different about them is the Ayurvedic uh, principle of the five elements are a little bit different than the uh, traditional Chinese yeah. uh, philosophy of the five elements. You know, in, in the acupuncture, they have the metal and um, wood and yeah. we don't have that in the Ayurveda. We just have the fire, earth, water, air, and space, but they do kind of map slightly. I think what's it's your just, opinion? It's just a different explanation for the same things mm-hmm. and, you know, a different way to understand it. You know, it's, 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 uh, um, you know, because of their cultures are different. So they're going to naturally have a, a, a different explanation and, and, uh, a different way to, to, to perceive that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the five elements. Yeah, can you wow, t- can okay. you maybe explain like what Chinese medicine is? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> maybe, maybe just a a, sh- a little bit. A synopsis. A little bit. Wow. It's, it's a it's a lifetime of study and a lifetime of understanding, and then you still don't get it. But you you lived in China for many years studying it, didn't you? Not many years, about about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but yeah, I mean the five elements, you know, it's uh, fire, mm-hmm. wood, earth. Well, I should should say wood, fire, earth, metal, water. Back mm-hmm. to that wood, and they and they engender each other. Mm-hmm. Um, wood will nourish fire. Yeah, fire will nourish the earth, like the ash, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the and the earth will nourish metal. You know, like the the, the, the metal that's created from the earth. And then um, <clears throat> the metal will will nourish water. I don't know how, why, <laughs> I, but somehow the metal will nourish water, and the water will nourish the wood. So it just goes around and around. And then there's also a a counter a counter uh, 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 production where where the wood will inhibit the earth, and the earth will inhibit the water, and the mm-hmm. metal will inhibit the wood. Mm-hmm. Right, and so so you know so so you have these these uh, uh, of course you know if you if everything keeps nourishing each other you know you you have to have a control otherwise you'll just grow out of control right right so there has to be a control to to uh, to keep things in check so that's you know that's that's a big part of the balance of Chinese medicine and the five elements is that, that you know you get to, must maintain this balance with with uh, these things nourishing or inhibiting the growth of of, of uh, Right. So if you have like too much fire, then you need to add more water or. Yeah. And, and you're right. Right. And, and, uh, and then maybe to strengthen the water, you've got to, uh, uh, you know, uh, nourish the, the metal. Right. So, mm-hmm. the, so the metal can nourish the water. Right. Hmm. That's like the uh, trace, the trace minerals in the, in the water it makes it yeah. taste better. So, so again, it's another, um, you know, just another equation to, to explain some, a natural occurrence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I found it interesting, too, is the, the um, connection to, like, the emotions, the emotional side of things, and then also even, like, 
explaining social interactions with people. Yeah. Like it can kind of branch into all different areas of, of well, existence. That's, 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 because that, that's the whole, uh, you know, the whole idea of it being this holistic system because it doesn't, it doesn't uh, leave out anything. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's included. Yeah. And, you know, and, and everything's affected. And, you know, there's no separation from, from your emotions for your, to your physical, to your spiritual health. You know, they're all, they're all completely wound together. Mm-hmm. Sparky. So when I met you in, in 2010, I think October, 2009, I, I moved to, to San Francisco in 2010. I started teaching you probably. Um, 2009. I, it was 2009. Yeah. Okay. It was October, 2009. Um, I was a, as you probably remember, I was a complete wreck. Yeah. Um, I was struggling to walk or sleep with yeah. or stand or sit down without pain. So I was in constant pain. Yeah. And because I, of the sciatica, there was, well, I just want to ask Sparky what he remembers about it. What, what was my, the, the issues I was having. It, I, I remember you saying a lot that my heart channel was blocked. And then does that at all, register i don't remember that um you know i remember how how stiff that you were feeling mm-hmm. and that you had a lot of pain um pain can you know often upset the heart channel that, that's true mm-hmm. um, i don't remember the diagnosis mm-hmm. that's a long time ago I've, sure. I've had so many patients since then it's hard to keep them all <laughs> what I well, I was in such such bad shape, and you asked me to come to your office. You thought that I could help you. You thought yeah. that you could help me, yeah. and I ended up going to your office. I would go, I think, sometimes twice a week. Yeah, in the and then and then I ended up like being like a. You started teaching me how to put needles into you. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You started teaching me like almost like an like a like an apprentice, but like a That's like. Right how you'd have like a six-year-old be an apprentice. Yeah. I need someone to give me acupuncture. Yeah. (laughs) And so I became an expert. I don't, I don't know much about Chinese medicine, but I know how to put needles into somebody. Yeah. Your needling (laughs) technique was pretty good as I recall. (laughs) (laughs) And so that went on for years. And I think that it was actually literally years and years. I was, I would go to your, your office every week and, and learn how to do needles and do needles on you. And you'd work on, on my, on my um, pain. And you got me back into fighting shape that way. And it seemed to me at the time like that there was this understanding that um, that there's when there's heat trapped in the body or when there's any kind of blockage of energy in the body, that the needles and the acupuncture, the acupressure, the herbs, all of that was was serving to increase movement of energy or or circulation and yeah. there was even like trapped i think you called it interstitial fluid at the base of the muscle can can you talk yeah. about that at all um yeah it, it, it's it's uh it's like the waste that your cells will create hmm. will deposit it between the cells mm-hmm. so when you when you're using cups for example you're you're drawing that that waste out onto up to the surface which so it's not uh, creating a, a blockage anymore. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not. It's allowing the energy to flow through, and that's why when you use cups, you know you you feel instant relief. Yeah, 
because you can you can just get that stuff right out. It's like it's kind of like taking, you know, it's kind of like removing cars from a traffic jam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and so, you know, it looks like you know a lot of people think that what you're doing is bruising them, right? And, and you can bruise people with cuffs, and I have been bruised with cuffs. But but if if actually what you're usually doing is you're not bruising people because if you're bruising them, it would it would they would feel worse after you took the cuffs off. But they always feel better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, if if they're feeling worse after the cup after the cuffs, it's possible that you bruise them. Mm-hmm. I I just remember, and I, all, my students in Taiwan especially were very concerned about me because whenever I got cupping done, the it was always always the most intense blue color blue purple color imaginable you know yeah. some people have like a kind of soft red or, or yeah. you do a cup and there's like no color at all but like i would get really dark really dark color which said that there was like some real blockages happening for yeah me. that's right that's right that was when i was cupping you yeah that was certainly yeah. also true when you were cupping me and i think you even encouraged me and i and i did i ordered my own cupping equipment so that i could do cupping on on myself at home yeah and, and, and I also remember that, that you really helped me out when, when I got into back injury one time also. Oh, you were yeah. so mad. You were so jacked yeah. that you like drove yourself in a crippled condition to my house That's right. yeah, in the middle of the night, like, like nine o'clock for a yogi. Yeah. And it was <laughs> nine o'clock at night. And it was middle of the night. And I've been asleep for hours. And I, and, um, you, I had to like do a whole kind of um, meditation room for you in my in my bedroom and set up with candles and and did cupping and needles and just to, to get any kind of relief out of you. Yeah, it really helped. <laughs> <laughs> Another time when That's Sparky good. almost died. Um, <laughs> um, you, why would putting a needle in someone help? What what does what is it that's happening? Well, I mean, I don't know if, if anyone can really explain that sat- satisfactorily, and if anybody really knows the exact reason that that happens, I can tell you what I think, and I, I think it's because when you put a needle in somebody, um, you're creating a mini- miniature trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a micro trauma, mm-hmm. and so you're calling your body's attention to that area to deal with it. Right, and, mm-hmm. and in so doing, it takes care of anything around it or anything mm-hmm. related to it, or because mm-hmm. it's got to get like you know, kind of your body kind of has to get the house in order. So, so and, that, and that's where the meridians come into to an effect. So, so let's say you know you have a meridian that uh, goes from your hand up to your jaw, and you have a toothache, and you do needling in the hand, and it helps the tooth. Well, it's because it start when you put the needle in the hand, it starts to create that immune response all along the entire channel right to your jaw. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, the reason I like to use that meridian especially is because of my experience being electrocuted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's no, a perfect, that's a perfect okay. example of well, where I, the meridian goes. Right. And I remember when I was, when I, cause it's exactly what it does. It, it goes up, it goes up your hand, your arm and out the opposite side of your face. Wow. And, and, and that's exactly the path that it took. And I remember when, when uh, the teacher was explaining to us, like this is my first year in acupuncture school, he was explaining about meridians and people were having a hard time understanding about it, especially people who had Western training. Mm. 
And, and I remember the teacher saying, you're, you're all going to have a hard time understanding this. And I remember thinking to myself, I understand it totally. I have intimate experience with these energy channels. Yeah. That's, and, and that's so phenomenal that it's, that it's not just um, mystical, but it's literal. Like it's literally oh, yeah. happening. Literal. Yeah, it's literal. Because I, I remember coming to you and the pain that I was having is that when I would urinate, I would feel a sharp knife-like dagger stabbing into my big toe. Yeah. And I'm totally confused. I just knew that I would get a knife in my toe when I would pee. And it was so much related to the disc that was compressing in my back that you were able to relieve through acupuncture. And you'd always like put them in like my pinkies. And I was like, no, not my pinkies, not my pinky, not my pinky fingers. No. (laughs) Or like the heel of my hand. And then that, that would end up fixing the sciatica in that was running down into my toe. Yeah. I think, I I think for the sciatica, I think I was doing the point uh, below your little finger uh, (sighs) on your hand. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, that, that 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 under the head of that bone right there that that, that, that uh, uh metacarpal or whatever metacarpal bone, yeah. yeah you know what's um it's the fourth the fourth metacarpal it's interesting like I, when i was working with you i have to say that I, I i became a little um prejudiced towards like i really always wanted you to just jab those needles right into the muscle that was clenching up yeah. like yeah poke those poke those put like five needles into that into that contracted muscle because i wanted relief right now but as i understand you were studying a a, a japanese style of acupuncture no, no, it was it was a, it was a uh, 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 dr tom who was who was in taiwan okay your teacher and, wasn't Japanese. I'm sorry. Taiwanese. No, no, no. It, it was it was a, it was a style that was that was put out by Dr. Tong, who uh, he lived in the 1970s, I think, or somewhere mm-hmm. around. And then his teachers, his students were my teachers. Mm. Was she and, Japanese? No. no <laughs> oh no, my god! A woman named Susan Johnson. Although I did I, I, I did I did have a Japanese teacher. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I took some classes. I was attempting to to learn about Japanese acupuncture, but it was so different than the acupuncture that I knew that I thought you got to if you try to do all of them, you're going to water yourself. Oh, okay. Because I think I I'd really been I was it made an impression on me when you started working with her because you really yeah. did start changing your technique quite a bit to less that was, that was, that, to that less needles. Susan. Yeah, that was Susan Johnson. Okay. So I conflated yeah. the two. So why would less needles be better? I remember even seeing like a like a like a some kind of ad on the Super Bowl where a guy had had like the three thousand needles put into him, and then the the house caught on fire, and he had to like. Oh, I saw. I, I showed you that ad. That that was a that, that's <laughs> a, that, that's a a Dutch uh, a, a Dutch company that that put that ad out. Uh, it, it was it didn't air in the U.S. It was just right. Fun. And then he had to jump out of the house onto one of these giant, you know, balloon pillows yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I'm covered in 3000 needles. Yeah. I cannot do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, why less needles is better. Um, well, 
again, like I, I, I don't have a definitive answer to that. All I, I can only go by clinical results, mm-hmm. and um, you know the, the results that I got using less needles tended to be better and longer lasting. Okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can get an immediate result if you go right into the right into the uh, uh, area of pain. You might be able to get an immediate result, but I, I don't think it would last as long. Okay. I, I think uh, it's kind of like if you're if you're if you're thinking of using a shovel, right? Mm-hmm. It's the lever of the shovel that makes the shovel strong. It's it's the it's the handle that that's that's you know it's far from the shovel head mm-hmm. that, make, that makes the the lifting easy. Yeah, it's it's sort of like that. Okay, if that makes any sense. Oh, it's it doesn't be- make any sense to me, but no, it's beautifully said. When I used to get acupuncture done pretty regularly um my acupuncturist always said that the yoga practitioners responded so well to the technique to the therapy um and his thoughts were because we were already like very tuned into our energy body into this this meridian system in some way even a, a subconscious way we could really feel the movement of the energy and maybe also that the channels were a little bit cleaner. They weren't so obstructed. What was your experience with treating a lot of, I guess you would have treated a lot of Ashtanga yoga practitioners in your day. Well, you know, I didn't treat a lot, um, but I, I, I could, I could see why that would be true. Um, that would make sense to me. I, I know that people who were proactive in their own health would always do better. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I would, I would assume any practitioners would, you know, would be, would be that way. Right. Yeah. They're trying to take uh, care of themselves and do yeah, something pretty regularly. They're, they're highly motivated, you know, like <laughs> as opposed to some patients that would come in and like, you know, hoping for the magic bullet and they don't have to do anything. Right. And, yeah. And that, that usually wouldn't work out so well, but, but yeah, definitely uh, people who were, who, you know, were really in tune with their bodies would, would, would do well with acupuncture. Hmm. You know, another thing that I remember you doing once is the ear points, which were yeah. it was kind of phenomenal. Is that you would do all the the points in the ear, and I'd get and I'd, I'd be lying there, and I'd have something like twenty four tiny needles, the, the little <laughs> mini needles, in my ear. But what was phenomenal about that is how it so completely changed the the nervous system. Yeah, I would use usually. I would use uh, you know no more than five points in the, in the ear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So five often, needles, but it's often, still transformative. It's still it's like a, it changes the, the 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 state of the nervous system from something you know aroused to something really relaxed. Yeah, yeah. It it, it right away relaxes your nervous system. Hmm. Right away, and so so you know, I had a detox clinic on, in the, at the, there for nine years. Where in the mission? We were, yeah, we were treating. Uh, started out treating heroin patients, and then basically treated anybody that uh, uh, you know any kind of addiction really. Mm-hmm. Treating, and it was pretty amazing to see people like really strung out on heroin coming in there, and and uh, you know, and in a high state of anxiety, and putting the needles in, and within seconds you see them like kind of like just go down. And yeah. Just, you know, that, that was, that, that was really eye opening that, that detox clinic to me. Wow. Do you think that acupuncture was, you know, you really demonstrated there. Mm. Do, do you think that the acupuncture is really helpful for like treating all addiction then? Would, would you 
see similar results for everyone? Um, well, you know, anything where your your central nervous system needs to take a break, I think, is going to be helpful. You know, to to one degree or another. I mean, we certainly had lots of people who came in for various addictions and it didn't help them. Mm. You know, they, they may have felt better at that time, but they continued using, uh, especially cigarettes, you know, people who are smoking right. cigarettes. I, I would say like for cigarettes, that was the most difficult, uh, more, much more so than heroin. Mm. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I would say my success ratio with, with cigarettes, you know, maybe 50, 50. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Well, I think there's, there's something there about like, are you in an agitated state of distress we can calm you down, but that's very different from someone who is um, so wounded inside that the only yeah. thing that gives them love is um, an external drug. Right, it's a different and, problem. And, and right, and, and so a, a patient like this, acupuncture is not enough. They they need to go, you know, a number of different uh, modalities. Angles, you know, yoga being one of them. You know, yoga, yeah. acupuncture, uh, Western medicine. Uh, to therapy, you know, you, you just you know, they they need to they need a, a multi pronged approach. Mm. Uh, you, for most people, acupuncture alone was not enough. Yeah, but but it can definitely calm them down at the moment and like get them like you know, right? Give them a break. Sparky, I I have um, a particular issue that I think is is come up for me, and it reminds me of a, a patient that you once had that you were really struggling that. The whole situation, everyone is really struggling to work with this guy and to help him. Um, I think he was a guy in China that had come to you. And um, gosh, he had a real massive ulcer from from using too much uh, spicy food. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't come to me. I, I was I was there, though. But yeah. So uh, like he came in and uh, it's too much spicy food. Like a stomach ulcer? And the guy has to stop eating spicy food or he's yeah. going to really hurt himself. And he comes into your office and his wife is there. And and <laughs> can you tell that story? Yeah. yeah. Well, this was in Chengdu in, in Sichuan province. And of course, we all know that Sichuan, they love hot mm-hmm. food. And, you know, of course, the Sichuan pepper is famous all over the world. And so they, they, put, they put hot spices on everything. I mean, they just love it. And, and, uh, and people are really addicted to it. And the more you eat, the more you eat that kind of stuff, the more you need it because it starts to, it starts to dull out your senses. Mm-hmm. You think so? Oh yeah. You start to lose your taste. Oh, that's and, okay. And, and, and so, and this guy claimed that the reason he ate it is because he had ate so much pepper and he had bleeding ulcers oh. and that's what he was coming in for. And, and the reason that, that, uh, uh, the doctor said to him, you know, why, you know, why do you, why can't you stop? Like, why do you have to have all this pepper? And and I I don't remember the amount that he was having, but it it was insane what he was, what he was doing. <laughs> and, 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 and so the, and, and, and believe me, the doctor was also a lover of hot food too. She wasn't exactly someone who didn't eat spicy food. Mm-hmm. And she and she said, "Why do you have to have all this pepper?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "If I don't have it, I can't take I can't taste the food." Yeah, I know that. That's that's the feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. Ta- that's the issue I'm having. Okay, keep going. Yeah, he, he said I can't taste the food. Now that's that's a sign in Chinese medicine of of, of uh, uh, spleen qi deficiency. <gasps> oh, and to, and to his to his uh, uh, case, you know, he had not only spleen qi deficiency, but he had like blood stagnation, and um, um, you know, he he had a lot of damage going on with his stomach, and so. 
uh, I forget where I was going with this story. Oh yeah. So his wife, he said, he said, uh, uh, he came in, he came in one time and I only saw him a few times, but he, he came in he came in one time and the doctor said, so are you, have you cut down on your pepper? And he said, Oh yes, yes, yes. And his wife said, no, you're, he's lying. He's lying. He, he, he eats just as much as he always does. And, and, uh, you know, that, that's when, you know, she asked him like, why does he have to eat all that pepper? This is that, that's just the picture of that woman sitting there. No, he's lying. He's oh, yeah, lying. Yeah, yeah. It's just and, like, uh, and this was, this looked like, a, you know, a couple that had been together for many, many years. You know, they were probably like, in their 50s. And, fantastic. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, you know, one thing that um, I also loved about what you do as an acupuncturist and the kind of magic that you do, because you, you do really rely on, on, I, well, let me, let me rephrase it. It, the whole experience is transformative and it, it is really helpful to go into these, these states um, when you're getting treatment, because the whole thing is, is, is about balancing your nervous system one of the loveliest things that you would do is that you would play your guitar. Yeah. And your guitar playing is magnificent. <laughs> it, so I don't think people probably at home don't, don't know, of course, that you're, um, you're Mohaukinen's uh, guitar student. And you're Mohaukinen, of course, is, is the guitarist for Jefferson airplane. Halkin. Mm. Uh, yeah, no one can pronounce that guy's name. Do you? I, I was thinking about you. Do you remember the the film A Simple Man, the Coen Brothers film? Yes, yes, yes. And the rabbi is talking to the yeah. kid, and he's Jefferson listing Airplane. all the members of Jefferson Airplane, yeah. Grace Slick, and going through all of them. Um, the 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 guitar, the bass player, and then he gets to the the guitar, and he can't remember the guy, how to say the guy's name. He can't like uh, Horma. It's a Finnish name. Hmm. So he's Finnish. Uh, partly, yeah. How do you say it? Kalkinen. It's Kalkinen. Yeah, Kalkinen. Oh, you say that you say K A. I think it's K A U K E N O N. And so that, like that song, like the embryonic journey, like he's just, yeah. it's just magnificent guitar yeah. playing. Yeah, yeah. Is it possible you could you could play a little bit for us before we go? Yeah. Yeah, I could. Please. You want to hear Embryonic Journey? Yeah. Can you do that one? <laughs> I, I haven't played that song in a long time, but I'll try it. Let's see. Oh, my God. Can you hear it? You yeah, perfectly. It's, perfect. it's beautiful.
So beautiful. Oh my God. I haven't played that one in a long time. So a few mistakes in there, but uh we we couldn't tell. <laughs> sparky. You're yeah, a... that, that's the embryonic journey. <laughs> that was one of the, one of Yorma's first songs that he had written. Mm. Definitely had an effect on me when I heard it. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. You're a man of many talents. It's true. Yeah. I I just want to thank you so much for being on the show, Sparks. Oh, it's been a blast. Anytime. Can how could people charter a sailboat with you if they wanted to, to go out on the on the water with you? Well, I work for different companies, so so you'd have to get a hold of those companies. One is uh, Captain Kirk Sailing in San Francisco. Like the Star to... Trek guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Captain Kirk Sailing dot com. That the guru was on. Yes, that's right. And uh, the other companies would be would be uh, Gaslight. Oh, that's, that's, that's easy, easy to remember. To remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th- those would be the the two that I would recommend. Yeah. Okay. And are you still doing acupuncture for people or no? Well, I you know once the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. I made my license inactive. Okay. Right. Yeah. I was pretty much phasing it down to where I was doing mostly boat work. You know, I used to do mostly acupuncture with boat work on the side. And I've, over the years, you know, I've kind of been changing it to go mostly boat work and acupuncture on the side. Now my license is inactive. So I'm only doing acupuncture for like, you know, my friends or family, or, you know, just, just not doing it as a, as a, uh, as a regular practice where I'm nice. supporting myself. Okay. Well, that's good. That simplifies things. Yeah. Simplify to amplify. Yeah. Well, I just want to say on behalf of the most interesting man in the world, (laughs) stay thirsty, mis amigos. (laughs) Do you even like Dos beer? 
Um, uh, look, well, I, I don't drink a lot of beer, but I do like Dos Equis. It's not bad. There you go. When you need a beer, drink Dos Equis. <laughs> I don't drink a lot of beer, but when I do, there's always Dos Equis. <laughs> we do not. What do you, what do you say? We, we do not. We don't this, have a. This podcast is not promoting drinking of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> drink responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god we're, we're gonna get emails for sure of, of a story that i once heard about somebody began their story about how they robbed a bank and and the beginning of the story was that we, we were responsibly smoking crack oh my <laughs> that would have been at the clinic right that's the story you heard at the clinic luckily that's not my story yeah Oh, wow. Well, whatever you do, do it responsibly. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for meeting with us today. I love you, Sparks. Anytime, man. Anytime. Just call me up. I miss you. I miss you too. <sighs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.